You are listening to Inspired Caring with Michelle Magner, episode number 112. Hello, welcome to Inspired Caring. I'm your host, Michelle Magner. If you are caring for an older family member, this is the podcast for you. Each week, I bring insight, tips, inspiration, and strategies to help you care for the people that you love without losing yourself along the way. Having cared for both of my grandmothers, I've helped manage everything from hospital stays, households full of belongings, to navigating senior living and end-of-life care. And I've worked in senior living as a result of that experience, serving my residents and their families as they've been on this journey too. Thank you for joining me today, and I hope you enjoy this episode of Inspired Caring. Okay, well, I would love to welcome Katie to the podcast. Hi, Katie. Good morning. Good morning. Today, we are talking about rehabilitation or rehab at a skilled level. And Katie has been working in this field forever, (laughs) a really long time, and is the perfect resource to help us get some questions answered. So we will dive right in. I'm so happy, happy, happy that you are here. And what is rehab? Let's start there. Sure, sure. Um, Rehab is, you know, under a skilled Medicare benefit, usually after somebody, so your loved one is in the hospital um, and they're saying, well, they're not quite back to baseline and we feel like where we recommend that maybe they need some rehab um, to, in order to get stronger, in order to try to go back home or whatever that previous living environment looks like, um, back to get back to their baseline. So in a nutshell, that's kind of what rehab looks like. Um, you know, individuals will come to us, they'll receive, um, physical therapy and occupational therapy and sometimes speech therapy, Mm -hmm. um, to try to meet those goals to work on strength, endurance, Um, you know, those activities of daily living, they say, so that'd be like dressing, grooming, bathing, um, feeding. And then if your loved one needs a like speech component, that could be anywhere from they're having swallowing difficulties to even maybe some cognitive, um, concerns that they maybe noticed in the hospital, or maybe that you're noticing, um, and speech therapy can work on those things as well. That's awesome. That's a lot. Yes. (laughs) There's a lot that can go in. So it sounds like people, when they come, it's not that they come for one specific thing, that there are maybe multiple disciplines that are going to be seeing the person. Absolutely. Okay. And how do they get to you? How do they qualify to come to you? Yeah. So Medicare guidelines state that somebody needs to be in the hospital for three midnights in order to qualify for skilled nursing. Um, And we're, you know, of course, talking about the population, usually 65 and older um, that are on Medicare. So they're going to use that skilled Medicare benefit, but they need to have that three night hospitalization um, in order to qualify for that. And then it could be a combination. I mean, we we receive referrals from hospital settings, assisted living settings, even, you know, individuals that are potentially at home. 
mm-hmm. um, that, you know, the payer source may be different in all of those, just pending if they've had that three night hospitalization or not. Um, and we have a nurse liaison um, that will take those referrals and kind of knows, you know, what the criteria is for, for um, skilled nursing, for rehab, then, and, you know, an answer answer all those other logistical questions in regards to um, finances and have they met their three night qualifying stay and those sorts of things. So it sounds like even somebody who is at home um, and maybe has not been operating at their strongest could potentially qualify, but how would they, because it makes sense to me that the hospital and nurse liaison would be connected. How would someone at home figure that out? Sure. Um, you know, if they have questions in regards to that, I always say, you know, maybe start with your physician first um, and say, this is kind of what's happening. Do you feel like they a rehab stay might be beneficial? Um, and if the physician says yes, I always say, you know, you should reach out to a skilled nursing community um, that provides rehab and ask those questions. You know, they'll look at um, has has that loved one been in the hospital maybe in the last 30 days? Um, they could potentially at that point then qualify to come under their skilled benefit or their Medicare benefit. Um, and if not, then it doesn't mean that, um, you know, they can't admit to a rehab setting. It may just be more of a self-pay, um, situation in, in order to do that. So that totally, that totally makes sense. I remember giving a tour to a gentleman once and he said, I feel like my dad needs a nursing home. He's at home. And I said, Oh, tell me more about what's going on. And he said, well, you know, like a week ago, he was up and walking around and feeding himself. And like now he's pretty lethargic and not really eating and really just staying in bed. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> like, I, which we're, we're, that's yeah, right. <clears throat> which we're talking about rehab, not a nursing home in this conversation. But I was it was that start with your primary doctor piece that made me think of that. Like if someone is at home and they're declining and you feel like, oh, maybe they need rehab, definitely start with their primary doctor and share what's going on because they maybe have an acute medical situation that needs attention. Absolutely. Yeah. So how, I mean, are people like being exercise, exercising like all day long in rehab? Like how often or how many hours a day? Sure. We usually, um, Medicare will um, historically cover about if they need each discipline, it would be, um, you know, like up to an hour of physical therapy, up to an hour of occupational therapy, and up to an hour of physical therapy five days a week. So they could be getting potentially almost three hours of therapy a day, um, depending on, you know, um, they always do an assessment when, um, somebody is first admitted the therapy team and they will kind of determine um, from that standpoint, how many minutes or how many, um, you know, how long that those therapy sessions are going to be. Somebody that comes in who's very deconditioned and potentially, you know, has a lot of medical things going on and they're not, um, their endurance isn't, you know, at that capacity yet, 
they're going to adjust accordingly to try to get the, you know, and we'll work with them as much as they can. So. So it sounds like if someone is, is pretty incapacitated that they can start low and then kind of work their way up. Excellent. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Can people have visitors? Absolutely. Yes. We encourage visitors, family to visit, um, you know, and usually we will, um, after they've been assessed by therapy, they try to kind of get a schedule in place. Um, so then you can tell other family and friends, okay, they're going to have, you know, therapy on these days at these times. And then, um, you know, so you can, when you do visit your, um, your friend or family member isn't in the, in their therapy session, so they can get full benefit from that and then visit on outside of therapy. Perfect. And then what are people doing in between therapy? Like, are they just hanging out or what's happening? Yeah. Um, of course we offer, you know, three meals a day and then as well, we have activities and it just kind of is up to the individual if they're um, very social and they want to attend those activities. We highly encourage that sometimes, you know, it's therapy, um, wears them out. And so they just want to rest in between therapy sessions. So we have lots of different options, um, to meet those individual needs. Great. What about how many days does someone stay in rehab or what's kind of the typical sure. anticipated? So Medicare will cover up to a hundred days of rehab. However, that doesn't mean you're grant all automatically granted those hundred days. Um, Medicare uh, looks at a week by week basis and we have to show considerable progress and gains and strengthening and endurance um, and functioning um, from a week to week basis. So I always say, you know, somebody who may have a hundred days of skilled rehab that might qualify for that might be somebody who's had a severe stroke and it, you know, it just takes a long time to regain those abilities. Whereas if you have a fall with a fracture, you know, mm -hmm. maybe you're only looking at, you know, two to three weeks, just depending on how you do from that standpoint. So th those are two great examples of why people would potentially go to rehab. What are some other scenarios or conditions that maybe someone has that would warrant some rehab? Sure. Um, you know, if somebody has a heart condition or is hospitalized for a heart condition or um, COPD, you know, pulmonary issues, um, we see individuals who have... Um, you know, it's, it's a slew of, of lots of things, but, um, you know, a lot of them are based off if, you know, weakness, um, a decrease in mobility or ability to walk and function. Um, and that can be related to lots of different things. Um, some people come for, if they're in on antibiotic therapy and need mm. IV antibiotics several times a day, um, you know, that's a considered a daily skilled need. Um, so it, it's, there's a very wide range. So that's a great thing that just came to mind based on what you said was like how much nursing type help are people also receiving? And cause it sounds like a lot of exercise therapy and things like that. What kind of nursing type help are people getting? Sure. Um, the IV therapy would be one wound care management might be another. If somebody has to have like a wound back, um, 
or, um, you know, that daily skilled uh, wound treatment for, mm -hmm. um, you know, an incision that's not healing correctly or, um, you know, vascular issues that may come up that somebody needs that from that standpoint. So that makes sense. That's a lot of stuff that I would not feel comfortable doing at home <laughs> for someone sure. that I am not trained for. Absolutely. Are people allowed to like leave the building if they're there for rehab? Can they go out to lunch or spend the night someplace? Sure. It, that We have to be a little careful of that because um, if Medicare feels, you know, that somebody is able to go home with a loved one and spend the night or be out for extended stay, um, you know, that Medicare may view that as, okay, if they're able to do that, then they really don't need a skilled nursing community. Absolutely. People can go out, you know, and have lunch, but it's usually those shorter, you know, visits outside of the building, doctor's appointments, maybe, you know, grab lunch after a doctor appointment if your family member takes you, um, and then returning to the building where you can receive that um, nursing and therapy level of care. Yeah. My dogs are wrestling around under my desk. I don't know if you can hear that. I can't hear them. Okay, good. I'm like, get comfortable already. Oh, now she's shaking. Um, I think really dogs are good therapy too. Can pets come to rehab? Absolutely. That's a good question. Absolutely. Yep. Your pets can come and visit. Oh, that's yeah, so great. Yep. We can have, we, and we do have, um, our life enrichment apartment does have, um, pets that come on a routine basis as well. So oh, that's so great. It's like holistic. Yes. A, a, a real holistic approach. Um, I was thinking about it, how, when I had a family member and the hospital came in and did this assessment because we felt like, well, she can't go back and we're trying to figure out what's next. Um, it was determined she was not a good candidate for rehab initially, but then towards the end of the week, she saw improvement. Do you feel like it's a good idea for family? I mean, this is what I did. So whether you <laughs> think it was a good idea or not, <laughs> I don't know, but I pushed for them to reevaluate her towards the end of the week after she had had additional um, antibiotic treatment and things like that. So absolutely, just trying to figure out like, when is the hospital determining that they would maybe qualify and bridging that gap with the building? Absolutely. Always, you know, always asking that question too, as a family member, um, mm -hmm. because that is a, you know, Medicare benefit that, um, can be utilized. So if there's ever any questions from that standpoint, I would always ask, um, you know, the, at the hospital, ask the nurse, the physician, the social worker there, um, if that is something that they think would be beneficial for their loved one. And, you know, be honest and be like, you know, I see what they're doing here in the hospital and I just don't feel like they're back to where they were um, mm -hmm. before this hospitalization. And I worry, you know, my, you know, you can say my loved one lives alone, you know, they're responsible for cooking their meals and doing their laundry. Um, and getting, you know, you know, potentially even, you know, taking care of all of their daily needs of dressing and grooming and, and bathing. And if that is the case, then, and they're not able to do that potentially, you know, now mm -hmm. rehab is always a possibility. 
The other thing that's coming up is I'm thinking about if it's a couple situation, like a husband wife scenario, and they're both in, a, you know, those later years of 60, 70, 80, 90, and one of them is trying to take care of the other person, but they themselves, their own health uh, is being compromised. I guess, I don't know, just any thoughts on how to help them feel empowered that they can say to the hospital, listen, I can't do this. I can't do this. <laughs> Absolutely. And we encourage that, you know, the last thing that um, we we want a spouse to do is, you know, if something were to happen, if somebody were to fall and you're caring for that loved one and you both get hurt. Um, so, you know, using those resources, asking for those, uh, those, you know, outside assistance um, as well to try to keep you both as independent as possible. Um, Cause the last thing you'd want is for, you know, both of you to fall and both have fractures or, um, you know, that would be, that would be awful. So that would be awful. How, how does it get determined when it's time for someone to discharge from rehab? Like, how do you know when it's time? Yeah, we lean a lot of, of course on therapy and nursing, just to have they met those goals as you know, the therapist initially, um, will ask those questions, you know, how did home look like before? What were you able to do? Um, that's how they kind of build their plan of care in regards to um, what they need to work on. And when somebody gets closer to meeting those goals, um, then of course, um, you know, the, the discharge planner, the social worker gets involved um, and we kind of start talking about um, going home and what that looks like. Um, therapy will usually say, you know, I feel like they're going to be ready to discharge in two weeks. Um, they may or may want to do like a home safety assessment where they go out to the house and kind of mm. look it over and see if there's any needed equipment or, um, um, changing things in the home to make it more accessible, um, for that, that individual to go home. Um, we can set up, um, you know, other resources, home health care for some ongoing physical therapy and occupational therapy at home. It's mm. going to be, you know, not as intense as what they've received in rehab, but therapy can continue to follow them, you know, after they, they leave um, a facility and then discharge home as well. Okay. And then of course, if, um, you know, if the therapy feels like somebody's not meeting their goals and those goals are, um, you know, not going to be met in a rehab setting, then we have those tougher conversations as well of, you know, you know, looking at is going home appropriate um, mm -hmm. from that standpoint. So, which it seems like it would be so, and I know it is from my own experience, it's so beneficial to have a third party in the room to initiate and facilitate those conversations because as family members, we get very attached to our relationships with people. Absolutely. And it's really hard to look at your parent or your spouse and say, it's not going to work for you to come home. Right. Absolutely. And we can, we can help bridge that gap and, and give that news. And then, um, you know, you can be part of the, the planning of that with your loved one. And, um, you know, the rehab facility can be the one that kind of gives them, you know, that bad news per se, mm -hmm. if they're not able to. 
And it seems like you are very well resourced to know what is available in the area to at least move them in a, a direction like Absolutely. about resources. Yeah, I mean, at home. There are lots of resources, you know, anywhere from um, meals on wheels to hiring caregivers to come into the home. Um, you know, the, the, a lot of individuals, you know, will definitely be willing to have the home health care therapy um, because that is covered by Medicare, whereas, you know, hiring help is not necessarily covered by it unless you have like a long-term care policy, um, you know, those sorts of things. So yes, we can help guide families in, in what that looks like and what's available um, from, you know, lots of different resources. You know, everybody has their own individual needs. It might be that this person lives alone and they might need a, um, an emergency pendant. So if they fall, they can hit their pendant and call, you know, mm -hmm. um, emergency to um, clear up to needing somebody to um, be with them 24 seven and having, you know, hired caregivers around the clock. So we can, um, the whole spectrum, we can kind of assist with that. Oh, great. Because people don't know what they don't know. And it's hard to know where to get going, where to find people. Um, so it sounds like you're amazing in helping them with that. Can people come back to the building, to a rehab building for additional therapy? Absolutely. You can do outpatient therapy. So after you've, you know, discharged from your rehab stay, um, a lot of buildings do offer um, outpatient therapy or there's, you know, in your communities, there's probably a slew of other, um, you know, outpatient therapy, physical therapies that, um, you know, you, you could go to as well. That just usually takes a doctor's order um, to attend that and then, you know, transportation and to and from. Um, that's for individuals who want to be um, a little bit more out and about in the community um, and don't have to be, um, if you do have therapy come to the house, you need to be in a homebound status. That's how your Medicare benefit covers that. Okay. So, um, you know, leaving the home for like doctor's appointments, um, I think they usually allow going to church and, um, and sometimes getting your haircut, but that's about it. <laughs> mm, wow. um, don't ask me why those are the, re the things that they've chosen. Um, but you know, if you don't want to be in that homebound status and if you're able, you know, to go out and about and eat with your friends and family, maybe go to the grocery store with a little bit of assistance, then outpatient therapy is an excellent thing to look into. Um, cause then you don't have those restrictions. Okay. So I'm wondering if how much dementia is playing into people's ability to receive rehab or participate in it. Like if someone, because I'm aware of course, that there are varying stages of a disease process and a dementia journey, just I'm wondering if we can speak to if someone has a cognitive impairment or some dementia, would that prohibit them from receiving or doing any kind of rehab? It doesn't prohibit, but it does um, add, you know, another layer onto the rehab potential. Sometimes um, individuals who have dementia, sometimes that um, new learning, we're teaching them or trying to teach them how to do things a little bit differently from their norm. 
um, in order to potentially keep them safe. Mm. It could be, you know, even using a walker that they're not used to using or some other sort of assistive device. Um, and sometimes that new, that new learning is difficult for um, individuals with dementia. So it does kind of, you know, it depends on how advanced the dementia is. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, that can definitely play a role in the, um, in that progression of, of, of progress of getting stronger and getting back to baseline. Um, you know, sometimes if there's somebody with dementia and then they have a fall, um, you know, sometimes physically they can get back to where they were, but maybe they've had a decline again, because that's a, you know, a traumatic event. Um, mm -hmm. And they may have had then a, a decline in their, in their cognition, unfortunately. So okay. um, doesn't mean it can't happen, but it is something that needs to be assessed for um, to ensure that um, that individual can regain not only their, their physical abilities, but their cognition in regards to safety and um, safety awareness. Um, and that can sometimes be, you know, it can be, become a little bit more complicated um, mm -hmm. if, if they can't, so. Well, and I'm thinking that even if somebody, um, and again, it's just so nuanced, I just really wanna encourage people to touch base again with their doctors, the hospital social workers, um, the hospital therapy, physical therapy, occupational therapy people just to get their determination if it would be a good fit. Because even if I can't remember why I'm doing an exercise, you're physically getting a little bit stronger each time you're participating in it. So sure. yes. some progress yeah. is still being made, um, but just really going back to leaning on those professionals Absolutely. to help figure that out. Um. So transitioning just a little bit, what are your thoughts around mindset and rehab? I remember talking to an OT once and they said, it makes a difference because if you come to rehab and don't do the work, then it, you know, it just doesn't really work. So just any thoughts on that, like around mindset and approaching it? Absolutely. Mindset is huge. You know, that motivational factor of, um, you know, do you, you know, will we, sometimes the residents will, or the, the individuals, they want to get stronger. Mm -hmm. Um, and of course they don't have everything they need to know how that's where we come in you know, we'll give the exercises and those sorts of things. And so that being motivated and wanting to, um, um, progress and to get stronger is huge. Um, and yes, we, you know, I think there, there are, um, some individuals out there that they, they may not have that motivation and need to try to figure out why, and maybe, you know, um, they're just, you know, we'll, we'll hear sometimes I'm just tired. Mm. Um, and I, you know, don't necessarily want to do this anymore. And I think that's really hard for families to hear because from a family's perspective, um, they probably feel like their loved one is just giving up. Um, mm. But that is an opportunity. And I you know, would recommend that if you hear your loved one say that, you need to take that opportunity and ask more questions. Because um, we definitely need to remember that this is um, you know, their life and what, what do they want. Um, 
And I know those are very tough conversations, but um, those are key words and key things that really um, I encourage family members to talk to their loved ones about. Like what, what else is going on? Why are you, you know, why are you not saying that? Um, or why aren't you wanting to, to work with therapy and get stronger? And why mm -hmm. are you, you know, saying those kinds of things? That's so good. That's so invaluable. And I really hope that people receive that little piece because to your point, we love our family members and we want them to keep, keep up the good fight and making the effort. And some, I mean, there is a natural aging biological process that is happening for each of us. So depending on where we are with things to just honor that is so important. So that comes around to like family dynamics with your family member. And I know this is super sensitive and very nuanced, but just when someone is in rehab and they're making the effort to do the work and get better, where to find family dynamics kind of play in? Like how can families best support that person um, cause we all have different ideas about what could and should be done. Sure. Sure. So how do we best support the person who's in rehab? Yeah. And that, I mean, I think that is very difficult when you have, um, family dynamics of maybe children that are not seeing, are not on the same page or seeing eye to eye to what's going on, you know, with, a parent or grandparent or any loved one from that, that point. Um, and it's really trying to, again, listening to your loved one and what their wishes are, and then leaning on the professionals, you know, they are doing their best in order to meet those needs and goals that, um, you know, your loved one has to get stronger as well as yours, um, and trying to put, uh, you know, trying to put your, you know, your family stuff kind of aside, um, because that's not going to help, um, your, your loved one get stronger or try to meet their goals from that standpoint. Um, and there are sometimes some tough conversations that have to happen, but, you should, you know, as much as you possibly can, you need to keep those, um, those preconceived ideas as well as your family history of um, if there's differing opinions or those sorts of things, you need to set those aside in the sake of your loved one. Because yes, um, you may not agree, but you should agree that you both love, you know, everyone loves um, the person that you're caring for and they are the ones that should direct their, their own, own experience and their own journey. So good. So can everybody just come in and talk to any medical person in the building or is there a point person? How does that get determined? Sure. Um, usually setting something up just because, um, you know, the nurses, the doctors, the social workers, um, they're, they're, you know, have lots of things to do on a daily basis. And those are meetings that you can always request and they'd be more than happy to set something up. Um, in a rehab setting, we try to set those up after somebody's been here for maybe two to three weeks where we all sit down with the team and the family members 
kind of discuss the progress, discuss what we're seeing. Um, potentially, if we have, you know, recommendations at that time, we will give those, um, you know, try to talk length of stay. And that's also in the hospital setting too. You know, you can always mm -hmm. request to meet with, um, meet with the social worker, meet with the doctor um, to try to get your, your questions answered. Now, you know, they're not going to be able to do it on a daily basis, but, you know, if your loved one's going to, has been in the hospital for, you know, a week or more, and you just don't feel like you know what direction and what's happening, absolutely request that. Um, you know, and in a rehab setting, it usually takes the team a week or two to kind of see how somebody's um, bouncing back from, from their hospitalization and how they're progressing. So that's why, um, you know, you don't usually have more of a formal meeting up until that point, because we're trying to see how fast somebody's going to, to rehab and how they're doing. Okay. okay. And there tends to be a power of attorney involved or some... um, sometimes not always. Um, no. Yep. Yep. Definitely. You know, um, we encourage everybody to have a power of attorney, you know, living will, those sorts of things in a rehab setting. Um, you know, we can help you with those things. If um, you're admitting to us and you already have those documents, we usually request those. So we have them um, on our file as well. Um, and then of course we ask um, when somebody's admitting, like who's the point person, um, you know, of uh, your family members, because we usually can't, you know, again, we can't call every family member. And so we really rely on making one contact or one point person. And then that person kind of, um, providing the information to everybody else. Perfect. This has been so helpful. So any, anything else that you can think of about setting someone up for success for a rehab stay, anything that we haven't talked about or I'm missing or just how can they be successful? Sure. Um, I think, you know, a lot of it is, um, you know, expectations too of, you, you know, if your loved one was struggling before the hospitalization and there were things that you were seeing, um, you know, rehab may help with that, but it also, you know, may not too. So just knowing and being aware of things prior to, um, you know, we try to be miracle workers as much as possible. Um, but if somebody was having some, you know, if you were concerned about your loved ones, um, you know, getting confused before their hospitalization, and then all of a sudden they have a fall and go to the hospital, you know, yeah, like we may be able to help, you know, get them physically strong and being, you know, walking again, but that cognitive piece definitely, um, may still be there, you know, mm -hmm. just the trauma of the fall and hospitalization, things may be even a little worse now. Um, and, you know, dementia is, a, is it's, it's a hard predictor. Um, some people are able to bounce back a little bit from that, but some people it's, you know, kind of, they've then um, lost that a little bit more ability um, from that standpoint. So it's ever changing and evolving and, um, you know, just, yeah. Kind of, yeah. Well, and I'm thinking anesthesia. I know that sometimes if somebody had to have had a surgery and they had anesthesia, 
and then they come to rehab, like there's potential that that anesthesia is still working out of their system. Absolutely. As well, which is just another thing to note. So absolutely. I think this has been great. I think this is a lot of really good information. It feels a little bit like a fire hose, but I'll try and organize, <laughs> organize the show notes so that we hit the high points. But I'm very, very, very grateful uh, to you for coming on. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>